Let's begin our sermon with prayer. Heavenly Father, as we look at the contempt poured upon your Son in our text, we ask you to help us see the comfort it gives, even though it comes from the mouth of mockers. We also ask you to help us identify the contempt of our own sinful nature mirrored in these words, that we may repent and place all our hope of salvation into your loving hands. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Matthew chapter 27, verses 41 through 43. In the same way, the chief priests, experts in the law, and elders kept mocking him. They said, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. If he's the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now, if he wants him, because he said, I am the son of God. This is the gospel history of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it's been a long journey since two weeks to two months prior when the Sanhedrin, after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and he'd been in the tomb long enough that they knew his body was decomposing enough to stink. But the people were excited and the Sanhedrin knew they had to do something because they were following him. What they should have done is said, follow him, he's the Lamb of God. But instead, the high priest, the one who should have pointed the most to Jesus, the high priest knew fit determined they should murder him, but the Holy Spirit inspired him to say those words. It's better that one man die for the nation than that the people cause themselves to come to ruination. And so it is that two weeks to two months later, after Judas, jealous for money, offers to betray him and they finally get Jesus into their hands, and they have the court and they've determined to murder him. Now they just got to find a way to do it legally. And they finally confess. We've heard it from his own mouth when he confesses that he's the Christ, the son of man and the son of God. And it is here that Judas says, I've betrayed guiltless blood. But if you were a traveler to Jerusalem and you didn't know what had been going on, now it's Good Friday and Jesus has been nailed to that cross and he's outside of Jerusalem and passers-by come by and why not mock and jeer him? They didn't know that he was guiltless. And many of the people who had shouted out Hosanna on Palm Sunday, on Good Friday, had shouted out that morning, crucify, crucify, and now they're mocking. Our text says, likewise, the chief priests, together with the scribes and elders, kept mocking him. Do you know what group the chief priests, the scribes and the elders made up? There we go again. It's the Sanhedrin. Now, they should have gone back to their duties, shouldn't they? The chief priests going back to the duties at the temple, the scribes back to teaching the word of God and copying it down, and the elders taking care of the people. But there's a problem. People are coming to see this Jesus who's been crucified. And so they go to mock him. They want to make sure nobody else follows this man dying on the cross. And it's in their mocking that we get the confession that was proclaimed by his enemies in today's sermon, in our sermon theme. He saved others, but he cannot save himself. It's very interesting, brothers and sisters in Christ, the word order that's given in the Greek in Hebrew and Aramaic, in some languages, there's a poetry in which you put something at the beginning to emphasize it. And they actually do that. Others, he saved. Himself, he's not able to save. Isn't that an interesting confession? Others, he saved. 
Think of Lazarus, two weeks to two months earlier, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Think of the young man in Nain, who they were carrying out to bury, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Think of Jairus' daughter, who had only been dead a short time, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Think of the many people who were possessed by evil spirits. You can't ask for a better picture of being enslaved by the devil than to be possessed by one of his demons. And yet Jesus healed them. He saved them. Under that possession, they would have ended up going straight to hell. Just like you and I under slavery to sin, death, and the devil would end up going straight to hell. He saved people from evil forces. And he saved people from bodily illness. And all of those were miracles that were meant to point out that he's the one who and the only one who could and would save them and us from eternal damnation. So those words, others he saved. Himself he's not able to save. And that's where they get it wrong. They had the first half right. He saved others. But they have it wrong. Himself, he's not able to save. To make that sentence correct, they would have to say, himself, he won't save. He could. He could save himself. As he had said, he could call on legions of angels to help him. And imagine those people sitting there mocking him. He saved others. He's not able to save himself. Whammo! There he is. Oh, whoops, I'm sorry. But see, he stays on that cross. He stays on that cross and he endures everything that's going on and so that he could save the very people who were mocking him. And the only response he had to them was when he was being nailed to the cross and he said, and he covered it all with the words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. See, he loved you too much. Those miracles of driving out evil forces and taking care of bodily illnesses... Those would mean nothing if those people were going to go to hell. He stayed on that cross so he could bear the punishment for you and I. He saved others, but he wouldn't save himself because he wanted to save you. Because he did save you. And he stayed on that cross so that he could save the members of the Sanhedrin who were mocking him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. He saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is confessing that he saves, but you and I have to finish that because it came out of mockers. We confess that he saves you. Now, as I've said, he died for the sins of the whole world. So why is it that the whole world isn't saved? There's only one sin, just one sin that sends a person to hell. That's unbelief. That's chasing the Holy Spirit out of your heart or not having him there to begin with. And so as they continue jeering him, they go right for faith. That's the irony. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the, off the cross now and we will put our trust in him. Seeing is believing. If we can see him come off that cross, then we'll believe. Do you really think they would have believed if he, for the sake of their eternal salvation, came down even for one second? He'd have to go right back up because he loves you and wanted to save you and I from eternal damnation. But do you really think they believe in him? We can look at Jesus' own words for the answer when Jesus told the story of Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man, his God was money. And so when he dies, he goes to hell. 
And while he's in torment, he cries out to Abraham, send Lazarus just to dip his finger in, in, in cool water just, just to cool my tongue. Nope, not going to happen. Then send him to warn my brothers so they don't have, come to this place. And, and what's the response Abraham gives? They have Moses and the prophets. That's what they called what you and I know as the Old Testament. They have Moses and the prophets. Today, you and I would have, they have Moses, the prophets, the apostles, and the evangelists. They have the Bible. And what does he say? If they won't listen to them, they won't believe even if someone rises from the grave. Hint, hint. The Sanhedrin, the exception we know for sure of Nicodemus and of Joseph of Arimathea, who probably weren't even there to mock him because they didn't go along with this, the Sanhedrin had rejected him to a man. They weren't going to believe. Even though they, you know, if you were a lay person, you usually didn't have a copy of the Word of God. You went on the Sabbath to hear it read or to hear somebody who'd memorized it uh, give it to you from memory. But the scribes, they got to copy it. They got to study it. The priests heard it every day in the temple. The elders, they were there and they got to share that with the lay people. They had Moses and the prophets and they rejected it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the biggest thing is they are viewing faith as something that, that's really the scientific method. Seeing is believing. They truly still would not have believed even if Jesus came off that cross for a minute or two, shook their hands and then said, now believe in me and hop back on that cross. They had to come up with excuses afterwards. People still do that to this day. Why even believe one word of the Bible if you're going to reject it? But they'll turn around and say things like Jesus just swooned. Jesus really didn't do those miracles. They don't realize they're making him out to be a shyster if that's true. But the biggest problem here is that idea that faith is trusting in what you have evidence for. This makes faith something like Jesus does 90% of the work and you do 10% of the work. If he comes down, then we will believe. But that's not faith. They're confessing that Jesus gives faith and they're doing it in a mocking way because they're saying if he'll do this, then we'll believe in him. But the real way Jesus gives faith is through Moses and the prophets, the apostles and the evangelists, the Old and the New Testament, God's word. You get to hear of your Savior who stayed on that cross for you to save you. And when you hear it, he sends his Holy Spirit into your heart to create faith. And once you have faith, to strengthen that faith, to nourish the new man that he creates in you. So that confession, he saved others, but he cannot save himself, is confessing that Jesus saves you and confessing that he, Jesus, is the one who gives faith. And he's given that faith to you. Then their last mock is recorded in verse 43. He has placed his confidence upon God let God rescue him if he wants him, because he said, I am the son of God. It's very interesting. The Greek wording that is used to record this is he's put his confidence in God in the past with the ongoing result. And the perfect evidence of what they're saying there that proves them right is Jesus's last word on the cross. Father, into your hands I place my soul. And the fact that we will celebrate Easter Sunday tells us that God the Father accepted the payment for your and my sins, paid in full. 
Here, Jesus is showing us where true faith is. Jesus never once doubted the Father and the Father's love. But do you hear what they're actually getting at with their mockery? He claims to be the Son of God, but if he is and God's his Father, what kind of a father would sit back and let his son endure the mockery we're giving him and the torture? Because that's what the cross did. It tortured somebody to death. What kind of a father would let this happen to their son, let alone God, who has all the power to stop it? And the answer is God the Father of love. Oh, he loves his son. But again, brothers and sisters in Christ, he loves you. He loves you so much that before he said, let there be light, knowing all things, he predestined you to come to faith. He planned with his son and the Holy Spirit everything that would happen to purchase and redeem you and make sure that word would come to you and create faith so that you, as your Savior did, You, by the Holy Spirit in your heart and your union with that Savior, also place your confidence in God. They're confessing the Father's love for you. But the Father loved them. And he gave them every chance by letting his son endure their mockery in that torture device so that they would have every opportunity to be saved. And if they weren't, they have only themselves to blame. But you know, brothers and sisters in Christ, the neatest thing about the confession that they mockingly gave out of their lips is that it was prophesied a thousand years earlier. In Psalm 22, verses 7 through 8, Jesus' great ancestor, King David, wrote, All who see me mock me. They sneer. They shake their heads. They, They say... Trust in the Lord. Literally, roll your troubles to the Lord. Let the Lord deliver him. Let him rescue him if he delights in him. Their very mockery fulfills the scripture, the scripture they knew, the scripture God had privileged them to be in so that they should have been able to search those scriptures and say, wait a minute, there's a light bulb going off here. I need to trust in this guy. Instead, they mock, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. And yet to you and I, it's a beautiful confession. He saved others, but he would not save himself. Confessing that he saves you. Confessing that he gives faith and he's given it to you. Confessing the Father's love for you. Amen. Here we find the dawn of heaven while upon the cross we gaze. See our trespasses forgiven and our song of triumph raise. Amen.